Hello friends, welcome to Outside Perspective with me, Adam Meredith. Let's jump right in. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please subscribe, really appreciate it, it helps out the podcast. Also, leave a rating, leave a review. If you find value in this information, this content that we're putting out, tell a friend. Let's help grow this thing. Really appreciate it. All right, next. I want to tell you guys about CBD, cannabidol, one of the compounds, one of the many compounds found in the cannabis plant. And guys, let me tell you what. There are so many benefits with this, with just this one compound, so many medicinal benefits. Um, it can help with pain relief. Um, there's an anti, there's anti-inflammatory uh, properties to this. Um, it can also help with mood regulation. It's shown to help reduce anxiety and depression. Um, there are neuroprotective properties to this. There are, um, it's been shown to actually shrink cancer to uh, cancerous tumors um, and actually help with cancer-related symptoms. Um, if you are epileptic, it's been shown to help with seizures. CBD cannabis is an adaptogen. It can treat a multitude of issues. So, or treat, help, um, whatever terminology is probably most accurate to use. It can it can assist and aid um, with a ton of different things that you may be experiencing for one reason or another. Some of the most common things, like I said, pain. We all go through, we all just have pain from just everyday life. Maybe you're on the computer too much and you have pain in your hands. That's why I like to use CBD balm. Uh, balm, muscle balm. Put it on my hands from doing jujitsu. Uh, put it on my muscles if I'm sore, if I lifted, whatever the case may be. CBD can help you. I like to use Jumbo Superfoods uh, for my supplier of all my CBD products. Uh, they have quite a few different products. They have drops you can put under your tongue. They have a spray. They have a ghee that you can put into your coffee. Again, like I just mentioned, they have a muscle balm, which is amazing. Go check them out. It's Jumbo Superfoods. JumboSuperfoods.com. I do have the link in my show notes. If you use the link, it helps out the podcast. So please do that. I appreciate it. And I guarantee you will not be disappointed. They use all high quality ingredients. They use organic. Um, everything is amazing. <laughs> I, I use that word to describe them probably too often, but they are great. Um, everything they they are doing, uh, I fully support. Now let me tell you about Mighty Cricket Oatmeal. Mighty Cricket Oatmeal is just what it sounds like it's crickets and oatmeal folks uh, crickets are actually one of the uh, most sustainable sources of protein uh, come to find out and they are full of vitamin b12 iron omega they have a good omega-3 6 ratio they have fiber it is a complete protein pair that with the oatmeal benefits and you have a winner folks so go over to cricketcereal.com check them out they do have a cricket protein or you can check out one of the three oatmeal options, coconut cream, dark cocoa, and cinnamon apple. Cinnamon apple. <laughs> so again, all high, quality, all high quality ingredients. There aren't a ton of fillers, and it's not full of sugar. Um, check them out, guys. Cricketcereal.com. My guest today is Drew Noblot. Drew is the co-owner and head coach of Flow State STL, a muscle club and movement studio offering unconventional training in a small group setting. Their focus is on functional skill-based exercises using kettlebells, maces, clubs, sandbags, and medicine balls. Uh, medicine balls. Um, I really enjoyed sitting down with Drew. Uh, I love their, their approach and methodology to fitness and training so um, we talked quite a bit about breath work and just the importance of laying down that foundation so without further ado Drew Noblot All right, and there we go. Drew Noblot. We're, we're on. Yes, we are. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. Um, 
I really appreciate you having me down in your space. Yeah. Good um, this place is fucking awesome. It looks, it's just, when you walk in, it's a very, um, I like the energy. Mm-hmm. It's very calming energy, but um, like, you know, work gets done here. Right. Yeah. It's a different vibe. It's not a typical gym or a box and it's not a yoga studio either. It's almost like the two came together. Yeah. In a weird mixture. I so. love it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I want to start just kind of at the beginning for you. Mm-hmm. Um Take take me back, you know, and kind of through your journey as far as you know, health and wellness and fitness. What was what was the start of it for you? Um, well, I was involved in high school in track, long distance track and cross country. And those uh-huh. were kind of my my sports of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then afterwards, I went off to undergrad, and didn't didn't do anything in terms of of health or fitness or training, and got quite overweight and. Uh, was really really out of shape and it yeah. was after I got an undergrad about uh, about 10 years ago just now I got really into training again I think it was to probably lose the weight and, and, yeah. and get back into better shape um, and I just kind of started on a journey I was living overseas and so I didn't have access to any coaches or anything like that so I was on my own and I found that I really really enjoyed learning how to train yeah. on my own it's a longer process than mm-hmm. having a coaches that can kind of guide you. You have to do a lot of trial and error, and at first you don't, mm-hmm. you don't know anything. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of trial and error and hitting, hitting roadblocks. And yeah. you know, I just kept searching for different things. I started out very conventionally, you know, a lot of high-intensity interval stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot um, of barbell work. A lot of barbell stuff, dumbbell stuff, and conventional gym settings. Yeah. Um, and you know, had had a good time with that for a while. It helped me lose a lot of weight um, and get back into okay shape. And kind of realized that I that I maybe had a, a passion for training. Yeah. Um, and from there, I started to train some other folks. I trained the first people I worked with about seven years ago, um, and worked a lot of with with traditional things, barbells and all the stuff we just kind of talked about. And then went back overseas again and was was training myself and really found unconventional training and this was before unconventional training kind of hit more of the the mainstream with on it and you yeah. know, they're doing great things and popularizing all of this but this was more like tech you know, fit this days. was like six seven years ago when when you'd find scott sonnen and that's one of the first first folks i found was scott sonnen and tech fit yeah rmax um and that kind of just led me into it. And I, and I was interested in finding it because I, I did the conventional thing and I just, I always felt there was something missing. Mm-hmm. You're like, this is good and it's brought me a certain point. But it just felt it in me intuitively. Like there's got to be something more to this puzzle yeah. than like what I'm finding in the mainstream. And mm-hmm. that's when I found some of this other stuff. And during that time, since I found this, you know, the things like MoveNet have, have busted on the scene. Right. Uh, You're certified you, in MoveNet, right? I'm a level two okay. certified MoveNet instructor. In fact, it's like um, we've hosted both TACFIT here this year oh, nice. and MoveNet. Um, we actually did the level one, level two MoveNet and the workshop here in May. And we hosted three TACFIT workshops in July. And then we actually just hosted also uh, Wim Hof Method. Yeah, uh, workshop that. in October. So we're real big about bringing different people in um, so that we can further educate folks about different styles of training and things like that, as well as further my own knowledge. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, That's huge. And um, yeah, I saw that you, you just had the Wim Hof um, workshop and then kind of just researched and I saw kind of like, you know, going back, I saw you had the MoveNet one. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's super cool. And it, it amazes me. It's actually really, um, it's not as hard as people think to like, to, I mean, you have to put in some work, but like to bring these things to places, like you can usually, with just a little bit of legwork, like you can find somebody to come and like teach these things. Typically, yeah. I mean, some of the big, big names like Steve Maxwell and that, those guys are booked for years, oh, yeah. you know, but oh, yeah. uh, I think a lot of the, the, what I would call the unconventional non-mainstream uh, mm-hmm. training systems, you know, that, that aren't as big as like CrossFit and that, like they're more than eager to want to come to different places. And that's how they grow their brand. I mean, really is through a grassroots approach. Yeah. You know, they build, they help trainers who are in other communities build a community for themselves around their style of training. And so, yeah, more than, more than willing a lot of times than to come down and and put on a a workshop Mm -hmm. or a a certification. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. I think that's a really good thing about the, the community. 
Um, so I want to go back still a little bit. Um, sure. So while you're in college, what did you what did you study while you're in college? When I was in undergrad, I studied uh, East Asian language and culture, specifically Chinese language and culture. Oh, that's dope. So, do you speak Chinese, like Mandarin? Or uh, anything? It's been quite some time, but yeah, I speak Mandarin. Okay, so is that what took you overseas? Uh, originally, yeah. So I finished. I went to the University of Kansas, majored in Chinese language and culture. Finished after four years there, and decided. I didn't study abroad because I didn't want to push my graduation date back and that and I had just decided like I was going to move to China when mm. I finished with undergrad. Okay. And so that second, that last semester of, of senior year, I applied to teaching positions in mainland China and got a job. And so that was all lined up when I graduated. Okay. I left in late August or early September and then lived in mainland China for a year Okay. and decided like I liked mainland China, but I and I wanted to stay in Asia, but I didn't want to keep living in mainland China. It's very crowded. It's intense. Is like, it? Yeah. There's, I mean, it's a really great place to like spend time, but I was ready to stay in Asia, but go somewhere else. And so, okay. um, my, my girlfriend at the time is now my wife. We moved over to Taiwan, which is an island off the coast of mainland China. Oh, okay. It's the Republic of China. Mm -hmm. And we lived there for two years as teachers as well. So we spent three years in Asia, um, back to back as teachers and then came and we lived in Taipei, which is the capital city. Okay. Um, and then we came back to the US, lived for a while, got our masters in international development at Oklahoma State and then spent two years in Morocco after that in oh, wow. Africa nice. as part of the Peace Corps. Oh really? You're in the Peace Corps? Yeah. And so that was two years that you did that. That was two years. Correct. Are all the Peace Corps um, contracts are those all two years? All yeah, all the Peace Corps is it's actually two years of service and you have two to three months of training. So it ends up being twenty six or twenty seven months. Okay. Depending on the country and how long the training is. Oh wow. So Yeah, so you've spent a significant amount of time outside the country. Yeah, about five years. Yeah. So yeah. Um Wow, dude, that's a hell of a journey. It was fun. Yeah. Was so, fun. so during that, those first three years that, that you were in China, um, is that you said that was kind of like the beginning of when you started kind of training yourself yeah. and, and just becoming just more health conscious. How much weight do you say you, like you, you had put on by the, when it was all said and done so through your undergrad? If I remember correctly, when I finished high school, I was about 145 pounds. Yeah. A cross country runner. Okay. I'm, I'm a you see, I'm a smaller guy. Like I'm, yeah, you got I'm a, never, but like, a, mm -hmm, like a thinner frame. Thinner frame. Yeah. And uh, when I finished undergrad, I was 205. Okay. So, so six, 60 pounds. Yeah. And I want to say in my first year in China, I, I dropped back down to maybe like 160. So I lost maybe 40, 45 pounds. Yeah. If memory serves me, somewhere okay. in that realm. Yeah, that's good. That's great, dude. Yeah. That's great. Really like reclaiming your health. Yeah. Was it easier to do? You think because you're in China? I mean, that culture. Well, how infiltrated have they been with the, like the standard American diet, or at least where you were? Oh, very much so. Yeah. I mean, it's all that stuff's the same. It was no all matter, the same. No matter where you go. I yeah. Mean, unless you're going somewhere like Papua New Guinea or somewhere like that. You know, I think the standard American diet has seeped into all of the, yeah, you know. Yeah, such a fucking shame. Modern, modern world. Um, I don't think that's why. I think it was because we, we were teaching and I didn't have, we lived on campus and it wasn't like a full nine to five. Yeah. I went home in between and that, so I had some spare time. Uh -huh. um, you know, you, none of your friends are there. You're kind of away from so from bad out. influence and that. And so I was just like, I, I had the time and, and just decided I was going to put my focus there. I mean, I had done a lot of training yeah. in the past. Yeah. I wasn't, wasn't uh, unfamiliar with putting in like lots of miles and, and doing that sort of thing and having a routine like that. So dropping back into that wasn't mm -hmm. difficult. It was like I just took a four-year hiatus. Right. And right. now I was jumping more back into like strength and conditioning and more all-around training as opposed to just long-distance running. Right. right. So I, I imagine you probably just you, you probably started just running a lot, and then you just added in the weight training. I certainly went back to running first. Yeah. Because I knew that best. Right. And that's something like the routine was still in me, and the ability to run when you've run that much, especially like through your teenage years and stuff, like. You, I, I can just jump back to it quite easily and my body will adapt and allow me to run far and fast like pretty quickly probably oh. more quickly I think than than the average person just because of that time that I put in yeah, um, yeah. but I really started on the journey of like how do I get stronger you know hadn't I wasn't thinking about moving better at that point like that wasn't really in right. my mind it was more just like 
the standard idea of fitness. Like I'm going to work real hard and do high intensity and mm-hmm. I'm going to become stronger and yeah, you know, lose that weight, better physique, get ripped. Fit. Right. Get there ripped, wasn't bro. a lot of, of deep thought to it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, were you, what, like, what were you guys teaching over there? What, were you teaching English? Or? English. Okay. So and I've t- I've, in China, we taught middle school and high school. And then in, in Taiwan, the first year taught mostly pre-K and kindergarten. And then the second year also pre-K and kindergarten. Nice. So See, I love that story because um, so I think so many people like make excuses for like why they can't do things. And I think it's so easy to travel the world. Like you can find a way to travel the world. Like I, I tell people all the time, like you have no kids. Like you want, like why don't you go somewhere and like teach English? Mm-hmm. Like I just feel like like there are so many options and possibilities to do that and like soak in that culture. There are. There are. Yeah. And I... And I it wasn't a personal choice played part of it, but now looking back, it has to do with also just I was in the right place and the right pieces came together, and that's yeah. where I ended up more so than like like you actually trying to go out there or anything like, like it just happened. It just right. Out. It's it you know I think we put a lot of stuff into like oh it's all personal choice, and there's certainly like mm-hmm. some personal agency involved, but you know mm-hmm. now that I look back in hindsight, a lot of stuff that happened happened somewhat from personal agency and somewhat from just different pieces coming together you know that's partly just luck based on experience well that's a part of it for sure i mean i'm a big believer that um like the energy that you put out like is what is returned to you so sometimes i i feel like like you know things just fall into place you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like uh, whether you fully intended for that to happen or not um i think like you know just with maybe 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 if if it's even just like a like a subconscious intent, you know what I mean? Maybe I, so. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a big believer on energy, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was cool. So what was like? What was the Peace Corps like? What What exactly were you guys doing in uh, in Morocco? So the Peace Corps, we actually did a program tied with our master's program. The Peace Corps partners with universities to do what's known as the master's international program. Okay. And based on the, the each university has a different major, um, and we wanted to study international development because we had been overseas, and so you do your schooling first and then part of your schooling in our case a whole semester was knocked off by the peace corps service and then doing like a a project when we came back related to that service so we went to stillwater oklahoma for nine months for two semesters came back to st louis because this is where i'm from so we we uh, lived with some friends Mm -hmm. and then ended up uh, leaving about a about a year after we finished school for the peace corps um, and in Morocco, they had been switching over to entirely community and youth development. So that's the sector that we worked in. We did two months of training where we did intensive study in the local language, which is Moroccan Arabic mm-hmm. um, and cultural um, studies. You do about eight hours a day, six days a week. And then in your off time, you're in a, in a small town living with a host family. Very so you're in a full immersion. They take you from knowing zero Moroccan Arabic day one to being able to speak a basic intermediate level after two months. Oh, wow. So it's very, very intense. That mm-hmm. first two months is, it's good, but it's stressful. Like you're glad when it, you're done with it because yeah. there's a lot on your plate. For sure. And then you then you, you go and you, you get your town and you basically travel to your, your final site on your own and there's a host family there that helps integrate you at first and helps get you an apartment and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the work is slow. It's a It's a underdeveloped country and so things move at a very different pace it's small town life so things move at a very different pace <laughs> right. even more so yeah um and technically we were assigned to um what's known as a dar shabab which is a a youth it's i think it literally translates as youth house but it's basically a youth center okay unfortunately um or fortunately depending on how you look at it the youth center in our town was it was non-functioning the manager was not someone who ever opened the place they didn't have any functioning programs which ended up being a good thing for us because we were really could integrate and do whatever we wanted some people don't like that unstructured kind of environment they want the youth center to be open and have specific things that they do yeah i liked the more open-ended thing there's no there's no youth so i ended up um, getting involved with, I started tra- just training there. It was a small gym in town, even though it was a town of 15,000 people. They had a small gym and a martial arts okay. uh, team that trained out of the gym, and the owner lived above the gym, and he was uh, a 
big into Taekwondo, lifelong Taekwondo guy, and uh, they had a team that traveled around Morocco, and it was also um, for kids to get involved and do different stuff. But anyway, started training there, met a guy who became one of my best friends um, to this day and uh, training partner, and just that's when I found unconventional stuff when I had this this time to do it mm -hmm. um, and ended, ended up coaching at the gym we wrote a big grant to get the first set of kettlebells plyo boxes rings we got bumper plates and nice. the barbell so we we outfit um, more of the equipment that they had mm -hmm. and then brought in some of these new implements and from there my final year I ran classes I worked with people one-on-one -on -one. Um, nice. Did a lot of that type of stuff, and that's where I really blossomed. And it was like, no, I, was, I, I trained some people before this experience, but I was like, this is this is my vocation, kind of it's something I really want to right, like really want to do. Mm -hmm. And that's when we came back after Morocco and um, started training people out of my basement here in St. Louis, um, almost three years ago, and then decided we were going to look for a space like this that we could move into and kind of grow into a, an official business after working underground, you know, yeah. literally and figuratively for right. a couple years. Yeah, man. Wow, that's a hell of a ride, dude. So that's, yeah, that's kind of the background story. It's a bit of an eclectic background and probably not very conventional in terms of like where a lot of trainers and that have come from. But uh, yeah. I like that background, though. I mean, I think um, like having that experience and like you had to, um, you had to first get yourself healthy. So, I mean, you had to like learn through actually doing, mm -hmm. and then you're exposed to just all these different things. And um, you were in a place where there isn't a lot. So I think unconventional training is, is perfect, especially for a place like that, right? I mm -hmm. mean, they don't need all this equipment. Nobody really needs all the equipment. No, no, you, know? you don't need a lot. I think, you know, the, the situation with gym na gyms now is like, more space, more space, more equipment, more equipment. And we're, you know, that's cool if that's your thing, but like we're kind of into the opposite thing, which is we have a few choice tools, the number one tool being our own body. And absolutely, you know, we kind of work from there. So, and you know, my journey, it's been a journey. It started out as something that was like, I want to, like a lot of people, I want to lose some weight and become this kind of image of fit that I had been sold by the industry that really isn't, isn't that much when you get thinking about it. And then over time, I realized that um, training, movement practice, and this is, it runs very, very deep. And there's some very uh, life-changing large benefits that like nobody ever thinks of right. that come from proper proper training and that type of thing. And that's, it just kept growing and growing. Mm -hmm. You know, absolutely. Um, I always like to say um, people just, like they don't know how good they can feel until they actually feel it. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? It's just such a conundrum. But um, so you decided to call your space Flow State. Mm -hmm. Why Flow State? Um, I'm, I'm interested in this concept of flow, which is a psychological term. Um, people call it being in the zone. I'm mm -hmm. sure you're familiar with it. It's where, oh, and, yeah. and it can happen with anything. I mean, you could enter flow with knitting. You could oh, enter yeah. flow with absolutely any activity. It's, it's fundamentally about being extremely present in in whatever it is that you're doing at that time time melts away mm -hmm. um and you know there's certain specifications to reach flow state one of which is the task that you're doing has to be challenging mm -hmm. not too challenging um but not too easy either there's a very goldilocks zone and it also involves proper breathing and different elements and you know everyone's experienced it but we're into helping people experience that with physical training yes physical culture yes um i love that and um it's it's so cool because um i'm sure you read the book flow by mihai checks yes Mihai. i've read it um have you read um have you checked out uh, uh the rise of superman Stephen Kotler. I've heard of it. I have not read it. Yeah, that one's really good as well. I think he wrote another one, but I th he partnered with somebody on each of the books, somebody different, but the other one's called Stealing Fire. Mm -hmm. um, it's another book on flow. All real great, but um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm really into flow. Mm -hmm. I, um, I, I used to always say, because like, I fought MMA for a long time, mm -hmm. and like I do jiu-jitsu, like, I've always just kind of always expressed myself through movement. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you know, you always say, oh, I'm, a, I'm, an adrenaline, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I'm chasing the fucking adrenaline. But I realized, like, it's not really, like, really the adrenaline is what I was attracted to when it came to fighting. It's, it's being in flow state. You know what I mean? Like, when everything's just clicking. Like you said, you're in the zone. Like, time disappears. There's no thought. Everything's just fluid. It's just moving. You right. know what I mean? Like, there's no judgment. You don't think. You just do. Yep. It's, it's just such a beautiful place to be. And everybody knows it. Everybody's sunk into it doing something, something. and realized, you know, they haven't consciously maybe realized that it's, this is flow and this is what it's called and this is what it is, but everyone's experienced it for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and then another person that's, you know, kind of the original flow coach is Scott Sonnen, you know, of mm -hmm. Tackford and that he's done extensive work um, around flow in relation to physical training and physical culture and right. stuff like that so i mean i've learned a lot from from his stuff as well but it's an extremely fascinating topic and it's uh you know as people find it's a great it's 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 a good thing to be having uh, happen in in your regular life so absolutely absolutely and um i from a personal standpoint i've uh, really kind of been introduced to flow more so in in uh, like physical training with the mace um are you familiar with leo savage mm-hmm yeah, so, yeah. I mean, he's, he's um, kind of really been a driving force behind, like, Steel Mace Flow is what mm -hmm. he calls it, and that's, that's his company and kind of his methodology and the work that he does with the mace. And I've, I've really been drawn to that. And um, I just, yeah, I think finding, like, a flow practice, even without even, like, a tool, just, like, moving your body. I mean, you see just, like, a lot of, like, movie meditation will, will put you into, like, a flow state. Um, I just, I just think it's just such a good thing. Yeah. You could certainly access it with any tool. Um, Leo's doing good work with the mace. Yeah. Um, you can access it with a club bell. Mm -hmm. You can access it with a kettlebell. Yep. Probably the best way to start and where we start in here is, um, body weight specifically mm -hmm. on the ground using, using the ground as support and this type of thing. But, uh, yeah, you can access flow with any combination of those things. Yeah, you really can. You really can. So when you decided to um, to really go down this path of, you know, just, uh, you, you, like you said, you, you wanted to, to teach people and, mm -hmm. and help people with this, um, I imagine, so you, you had already kind of begun the learning process. Um, like what, 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 like what were you drawn to as far as like, uh, like what programs? So you had, I guess what I'm really trying to ask, like what certifications did you like, what, what, like, attracted you you know what i mean because there's a there's a there's a fucking million million of them out there you know what i mean there's a lot so it's like um like what attracted you what attracts me and and this is kind of going back to like what it means to be unconventional yeah well like using unconventional implements are great like i find there's more to actually being unconventional as a trainer or trainee it's about your underlying philosophy right you could be using the mace for instance and have a very conventional mindset about things and that's fine you mm -hmm. know um, what I look for I look for people that really have a philosophy that runs in line with mine I look for people that also have I think systems now based on my experience and my knowledge that are mm -hmm. comprehensive and really, really good and, and focused on actual health, longevity, and sustainability. Yes. Um, and the other thing I look at, and this kind of goes with both of those, but like who is bucking a lot of the, the industry stuff that's out there that I don't know if is necessarily in line with a lot of like sustainable and health and longevity. Right. Um, the, one of the first people I, I started really getting into and he was the first person I ever trained with after I came back from Morocco, Steve Maxwell. Yes. Just to know, no BS, you know, totally tell you how it is. Been in the industry for a really, really, really long time. Yeah. And, and totally knows how to spot all of the junk that's out there. Yeah. He'll even tell you to, like, not train with young guys. He's like, mm -hmm. he's like what the fuck do they know? Of course. Well, that and... <laughs> I, I don't know if I 100% agree with that. <laughs> well, I think... I think and I've experienced this training older folks, but older folks, especially if they've trained for a really long time... They finally learned, and Steve talks a lot about this, they've learned how to train sustainably. They've learned mm -hmm. how to train for true longevity and health and mm -hmm. for the long run. And that's, you know, what yeah. keeps you going. When you're young, you can get away mm -hmm. with a lot of stuff that's not good. And you think you're good because of it, right. but you're actually good in spite of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, it, and, and sometimes even with young guys, you got to push it real far before you are like, 
you, you get injured and you're like, oh shit, like I'm really injured. And now uh-huh. I, you start to, and I think injuries can lead you to that place as well. But I think age and experience yeah. also does. I think he's I agree with in that a lot 100%. of ways dead right about it. Like the training yeah. that, and there's stuff that we can do younger that's still okay yeah. for you. But the really the best stuff is the stuff that you could be doing forever. That's why right. I love Indian clubs. Mm-hmm. Indian clubs, they're an extremely sustainable form of training. Yes. And that's kind of my litmus test. Like if you couldn't do this old, you probably shouldn't be doing excessive amounts of it when you're young. Like you yeah. can, and if you love doing it, like maybe you should, but you have to realize that that's not putting you in line with health. Yeah. It's putting you in line with doing something because you like doing it, right? I 100% agree with that. I that think I just sense. pushed back on him because like, I'm 30 and I'm a young guy to him. So he's... Right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, ah, dude, I don't know, man. And you can't fully understand. You, you have to I learn can't. from experience. It's all perspective, you know? too. Yeah, yeah, right? it's all perspective. You're, you're, I when mean, I get to his, I'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. right, dude. You're right. Of course. Of course. <laughs> it all yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So sustainability is so huge. That's mm-hmm. why. So yeah, like the Indian clubs... Um, what like what else are like some of your more like favorite tools that you like to use here? Uh, we use Indian clubs a lot. We use, I mean, my main tool outside of body weight is kettlebells. That's my first unconventional tool. You know, now they're really, mm-hmm. really mainstream. I don't think a lot of people necessarily train with them very well. I think they throw them into the mix and don't pay a lot of attention to the technique or the skill involved with certain <sighs> lifts. Man, I see so many terrible swings. It, yeah, it you know, a lot of stuff, get up, swings, even the swing, which looks very simple, is there's a lot of technique. It, it could take me, it's taken me years to get my swing to where it is. It takes me years to work with people and get their swings to where it's mm-hmm. getting really in line with like high-end technique. Yeah, um, that but we're very, we're very, very focused on, we're skill first, and that goes hand in hand with longevity. We work on acquiring movement skills, and in the process of doing that, we become more conditioned, we become stronger. Most of the other folks out there in the industry tries to reverse engineer that. They go backwards. They kind of just get you doing the stuff and get up your heart rate and, and get you sweaty, not paying too much attention to technique, and kind of hope over time through strengthening and conditioning you that maybe your movement will improve. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, like, yeah. So yeah. we're going kind of... Um, it's counter like, to the stream and there's a lot of folks out there doing that you know like strong first does a really good job of this with kettlebells they're right. probably one of the top maxwell does this with all of his stuff move mm-hmm. is very grounded in like no we're going to acquire all of the different um human movement competencies mm-hmm. and through that you'll become stronger you'll become more conditioned so we look at it very much as like a skill or technique practice as opposed to a workout and that's why i prefer the term training as opposed to working out 100% yeah I agree with that too I'd much rather um, I think terminology is very important mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean the whole idea everybody you, you say working out everybody gets this this idea right so you got to go to the gym you know I gotta you gotta feel dead when you leave out of there right you should be sweating mm-hmm. terribly and it's like that's not really it like strength is a skill like mobility is a skill like these movement patterns like um, these are skills that can be obtained and like you've just lost your ability to do that, but we can retrain and teach your body how to, to, to do that. Of you, course. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I think it's very important to slow down and step back and, um, and actually build those, um, those movement patterns before you start adding load, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, or you're, you're, you're taking clients through a movement pattern. Like maybe they don't have that capability because they don't have that range of motion. So you can't like force that. You're just going to probably injure them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you got to take a very um, systematic approach to like build that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very much. I think that's very important. Very much so. Yeah. And that's why what drew me to MoveNat is MoveNat. I was torn between MoveNat and, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, no, you're fine. And, uh, and animal flow. What are your, what are your, so animal flow, and I'm sure that like all of these programs can be broken down to be accessible to, to many, many different ability levels, you know, to very uh, untrained folks. Uh-huh. I think MoveNet is one of the best I've found. It's just the way to restore the basic patterns and mm-hmm. movement function, joint health, um, get people to learn how to breathe again when they move. Most people don't breathe very well sitting still and they breathe really poorly when you get them moving for the first time like that. Um, I think animal flow, flow fit, all of this type of stuff is more 
once you've got the basics under control and your body is somewhat restored in terms of proper joint health, mm. decent mobility throughout the body, right? And this type of thing. There's kind of like already like an assumed level of competence Yes, and MoveNet can be taken down to, I mean, I work with folks over 65 here um, that haven't ever trained, that have been um, sedentary for a long time, and MoveNet is by far, in my opinion and in my experience, the most accessible to those folks. Really? Yeah, it's really, really accessible to anybody as long as you understand the system and the principles and how to... Mm-hmm. you know, taper things, you know, scale things back for folks. Oh, okay. So I think in terms of just restoring, it's, it's great. Yeah. Uh, but the, wait, the animal flow and flow fits very, very similar. That kind of stuff's excellent, but that's more, you know, when they were here doing the one flow fit seminar, mm-hmm. um, in July, he said, this is like, this is not like the stuff we're about to do is not for beginners. It takes a while to work up to this sort of thing. It's a very complicated system. Um, it's about activating, being able to activate certain muscles at certain times and create certain structures with your body. Yeah. It's just more complex. Yeah. Not everybody, you know, people have to, especially in the beginning, they have to learn how to use their body. Sure. You know, they, they haven't developed those connections or those pathways to do that. So yeah, if, if the program isn't really built so that way you can regress it for somebody, I could definitely see why that could be a problem. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, so next year I'm going to uh, I'm going out to Denver. I'm going to get um, the FRC um, certification oh, from good, yeah. yeah from the Functional Range Anatomy mm-hmm. series, um, and then but I was I wanted to get some sort of movement. So I have a wrestling background. Mm-hmm. So like I see a lot of these. I'm just like, oh that's just a hip heist. Like that's just like I just relate everything back to wrestling. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of these movements, I mean you'll see across like you know all different types of different uh, skills. And, of and, course. And, but um, I was wondering um, just for my own sake, kind of like what program. Uh, was more like kind of comprehensive and more applicable to like to, like two training people. So it's a good, I like, yeah. your, I like your input. And what you find too is that it's not, and I, I think all those systems probably can be regressed. I'm not as familiar with animal, f- I know what animal flow is, but I'm not trained in animal flow. Like yeah. I haven't followed a lot of their stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, everything is basic, fundamental, natural movement in the end. And what happens as a coach is like, you're not sitting there like, I'm just doing MoveNet today. Like you integrate all of your abilities uh-huh. into your own personal system, right? right? So you could do animal flow and MoveNet, a couple of them. And then you kind of take the pieces that work best and then you use them. And coaching, you know, training yourself is like a trial and error. When you start coaching other people, you start back at the beginning trial and error because yep. they're not you. There's a lot of people out there, they can do a lot of neat stuff themselves. Doesn't necessarily mean they're excellent at coaching people. That's a whole nother It's a whole different ballgame, yeah. When Um, you have to start, like, thinking about a movement and breaking it down and trying to convey that to somebody else so that, you know, it makes sense to them. Yep. Yeah, that's a skill in itself. Sure. For sure. So when somebody comes in... Um, how do you like to start them out? Like what, what's, what's kind of your process with working with so folks? I do always do a free intro for everybody, partly because I like to see how people move before I integrate them into the small group. Um, it's a small group because we work with six at a max in here at any one time. It's, it's a great mix between, you know, community and having a, a, mm-hmm. a cohesion of a, of a vibe there. And Absolutely. then also me being able to give people near one-on-one type of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be scaled for a lot of different people, but there are still some people that might not be appropriate for. So I do the intro to kind of see what people are looking to do, see how they move. Um, I almost always, without fail, start moving on the ground. Um, that's how we, we would start a session when you come in. Um, it's a great way to warm up, mm-hmm. um, but moving on the ground is literally the best way to restore healthy joints to restore mobile joints and to teach people to start activating certain certain areas uh-huh. um, restoring movement patterns we work a lot of uh, on things that are in the developmental sequence rolling um, rocking like this type of different stuff okay. and from that I can see how well people move so I can just watch folks move on the ground and get a really good sense of mm-hmm. where they're sitting in terms of yeah. um, issues. It's safe. So no matter if someone's really, is it, you know, in, in not very good condition or if they're in great condition, like they're going to be able to move on the ground. Right? right. And I can see where the, where the lines are there. Yeah. Um, it's having like crawling different things. Crawling different things like that. Sitting positions, mm-hmm. kneeling positions. 
um, transitions between those positions, mm -hmm. quad positions, so on the hands yep. and knees, uh, different crawling positions, all of this type of stuff, rocking, spinal rocking, mm -hmm. squatting. Um, that all kind important of thing. human movement patterns. Yes, Absolutely. and that's and that's MoveNet's whole system is based off that. MoveNet, you, you restore people from the ground up. Yes. So if you can't move on the ground, like we need to move more on the ground. And then yeah. once we're good on the ground, then, then maybe we see how you're doing standing up and that. But then we um, transition to usually some balance, um, use the Indian club, see how people's upper bodies move and things like that. Um, sometimes we use catching and throwing, kind of see how people do, mm. do with that sort of thing. Um, all, of our, all of my instruction follows a general arc, so it's about 20, 25 minutes of, of warming up. 20 minutes of higher intensity stuff and then 10 minutes of cooling down. Nice. And the thing we always start, actually we start with something before ground movement, it's, it's breathing. Breathing, yeah, I wanted so you to we'll touch start, on this. So we'll start with breathing, um, prone, usually or supine, laying on the ground, get people to have some awareness of the diaphragm. Um, it's kind of one of my specialties as well is breath work. And we work breathing in here throughout. So we learn how to breathe just laying on the ground to kind of ramp down and center. Um, we learn how to do different breathing techniques at high intensity to control our heart rate and thus control our state while we're under duress. Um, we use certain, a um, lot of hypoxia type training. So holding, holding the breath while exercising, consciously holding the breath. Okay. Um, stuff that kind of comes out of Sistema. Now I think XBT and some of those guys are starting to popularize that stuff a bit more. Um, but it's actually quite old. Steve Maxwell's got a lot of good stuff mm -hmm. on hypoxia training that he picked up in Russia um, yeah. with the Sistema guys and that. So, so we incorporate that as well. So for the folks listening, will you explain how important breath work is? Like explain the importance of breath work for the folks listening. Your ability to breathe is the foundation of everything. Absolutely. It's the most, it is the, is the number one, it is the, I call it the fundamental movement. If you don't breathe well, you won't move well, you won't have, in fact, most of conditioning is literally knowing how, how to breathe, right? Mm -hmm. this, uh, one of the Sistema instructors says, you know, endurance is primarily a psychological phenomenon, which means it doesn't have that much to do with your physical body. It has to do with your ability to breathe and to control your state while you're under strain, yeah. you know, great strain. Mm -hmm. So um, obviously there's, you, you want to be conditioned the body in that, but if you don't know how to breathe, give me someone who knows how to breathe that's not that conditioned and give me someone who does a lot of conditioning and breathes terribly. And I guarantee almost without fail, the guy who breathes well and isn't that well conditioned will be able to outlast the other guy. Absolutely. Um, it's extremely important. Um, and Maxwell talks about this as well, but you know, the Gracies had a whole breathing system that they kind of kept mm -hmm. secret for a long time, despite teaching people about, you know, Brazilian like, Jiu-Jitsu, yeah, like, right? Yeah. They were instructing in the martial art, but they mm -hmm. weren't teaching people how they breathed. And, you know, obviously Hickson and Yeah, Hickson guys, was big on breathing. He used to do that breath of firework with, the, big um, time with yoga that. and different things. And, yeah. And no matter what physical culture you look at throughout history, um, region there's always some element of breath work mm -hmm. always i mean always always so it's extremely important um and it's the foundation of movement and all that all that stuff as well yeah you um you just can't stress breath work enough i like to say uh, i mean you can go minutes without breath you know days without water weeks without food so mm -hmm. i mean you have to have breath you mm -hmm. know what i mean so um, and, and breathing, like it, it, it taps into something within. I feel like, I feel like breath work is the primer for like the journey within. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, through, through breath, like you're like tapping into something, especially through those, like, um, those intense, uh, physical moments. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could, I think a lot of people could probably easily relate it to running. You get, you know, wh whatever the spot is for whoever, but let's just say like someone's running a marathon, right? Like those later miles, like you just got to fucking like, you just, you find that flow state and you can typically reach that flow state through breath work. I mean, it's an intense physical challenge. You have to be present and then you're, you're breathing, mm -hmm. you know, the breathing is essential to reaching flow state. Exactly. It's essential. Yes. Um, it's a, uh, you know, and there's even, there's levels of breath mastery with the top level being the flow state style breathing where you're breathing diaphragmatically and relaxed even though you're not 
even paying attention to that, right? You're immersed in whatever else you're doing. Yes. Um, but it's, it's incredibly important and it's incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. um, hypoxic style training is very powerful. Um, the Wim Hof superventilation type breathing with breath holds extremely powerful. You can literally take yourself through a high intensity workout for your nervous, respiratory, circulatory, and mm -hmm. hormonal system, literally laying on the ground for 20 minutes, just breathing in a certain way and adding in these breath holds. Right. So it's actually, it's incredible. It's, it's incredible stuff. It, it blows me away. And, and I feel like, so I know you and I probably know a lot of this information, but just for the listeners who, who might not, um, you know, Wim Hof has done some amazing things through breath work. You know, he's controlled his, um, his, uh, I'm, I'm fucking drawing a blank. Autonomic nervous yeah. system. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he's, he's dealt with extreme temperatures. I mean, talk about Wim Hof a little bit and then his breathwork style because you did just host that. Right. So his breathwork style and XPT, I think, calls it, it's like a super ventilation technique. Yeah. So you consciously, it's not hyperventilating because hyperventilating by definition is, is uncontrolled, mm -hmm. like overbreathing. Okay. This is a conscious over breathing where you take big, deep, circular breaths. So a really active, full inhale, mm -hmm. and then a passive exhale where you, where you don't quite, you don't let out quite as much air as you took in and you just do them back to back mm -hmm. for about 30 to 40 rounds. And then you let the last one out, you exhale, and then you hold your breath until you have that uh, kind of gag reflex or that strong urge to breathe. Mm -hmm. You take in a big, deep, active inhale and hold that for an additional 10 to 15 seconds. And then you go into another round and you would typically do that. That would be a round. You would typically do about three to six rounds would be a session. It takes about three rounds to get into the state you're trying to get into and anything after that is taking you deeper into that state right now when people are doing this like they're going to feel a little little tingly when you're hyperventilating consciously by the end especially as you get deeper you'll tingle yeah um and that's partly because you're starving the cells of oxygen i believe and when you're when you're so when you're hyperventilating like that you're driving the co2 down and you're driving the o2 way way up Yes. CO2 is a, a diovacillator. So it opens all your veins in that. When you drive the CO2 down and the oxygen's real high, all of the um, blood vessels constrict, right? Also, the CO2 is necessary, ironically and kind of counterintuitively, for oxygenating the cells. If you don't have enough CO2, the blood won't release um, oh. oxygen into the cells. Okay. The hemoglobin will not release the oxygen. So you're literally, when you're hyperventilating, you're starving yourself of oxygen, ironically, even though your blood is completely saturated with it. Oh, wow. I so, did not know that. Um, and if you want to learn more about that in particular, um, The Oxygen Advantage is a book that is excellent about learning about those like breathing mechanics mm -hmm. and Wim Hof seminars and stuff like that. The they cover all of advantage. that as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because the, the philosophy, the idea is kind of that most people are actually over-breathing throughout the day. Really? They're breathing shallow and they're breathing rapidly. Yes, um, I can and, see that. And what happens is, is you become poorly oxygenated because you have too much oxygen to CO2. That ratio is incredibly important for the offload of the actual oxygen into your into your cells okay so what happens is you you jack the oxygen up the co2 goes way way down and then you hold your breath which then takes you the other way it jacks the co2 way up over the few minutes when you hold your breath and mm -hmm. the o2 goes way down because it's being offloaded into the cells mm -hmm. and all of the veins then they they vacillate they get they get yeah, bigger they right and they open up and so it's it's incredible because when they come to do the seminar and that and if you read about it it's taking your nervous system your respiratory system your circulatory system and your your hormonal system through like this entire range of ability it's taking you to like the highest point that those systems can go and then closing them back off. And so it's, yeah. it's literally like a workout, a high intensity workout for all these major systems of the body. Yep. Um, and it's hyper oxygenating you. Um, and then you're doing like hypoxic style training. And you know, on the last round, you can even add in push ups or squats or something like that. When you're holding your breath, you need to be careful 
um, because yeah. you can black out when right. you're holding your breath. Yeah, don't do this near water. Some people will do this. Don't do this near water. Don't do this anywhere like you don't want to black out. And I would not advise adding in exercises into the last round until you're comfortable doing it yeah. without exercises for quite some time. Yeah, people um, doing push-ups and... They'll be like, oh, I just did, you know, 120 push-ups on a single breath. For sure. And yeah. it's pretty crazy because at the seminar and that, you know, some people have never, I've practiced it for quite some time, probably three years consistently before they came and did this. So I'm, you know, learned a lot intuitively in that. Um, but some folks that were here hadn't really ever practiced it before. And after you go through four rounds like that, people stand up, they're like, I, I didn't realize that breathing could make you feel like that it makes you incredibly euphoric and, oh yeah and high you know mm -hmm. Wim always says get high on your own supply but yep. it's it's literally like you know you're you're super high you know it's, oh yeah it's a very strange and awesome type feeling and very energized it's a it's a breathing that ramps you up right you definitely don't want to do it like right before you go to bed it's something i i do in the morning it's something right. you'd want to do before um a, a performance type situation, jujitsu competition, for instance, or something yeah. like that. Um, it's performance breathing. Yeah. Um, gets you ready for the day is not by any means a ramping down breathing, but we use other styles in here that we would use at the end of a workout or at the end of a day, or if your, your state is heightened, the breath is essentially, you know, Brian McKenzie, I think of, uh, um, PSE says, you know, it's, um, it's a remote control to the brain. Mm-hmm. It allows you to, to balance both sides of the nervous system equally again and set you back to a state of homeostasis where you can recover and, and yeah. adapt to whatever stimulus you've been putting on yourself. Oh, wow. Now, I've had experiences with, um, with like psychedelics and um, like specifically the one that comes to mind is like DMT. Mm -hmm. And whenever like I've, like I've gone through those experiences, like I've always just like honed in and focused on my breath. And I've just, and, like, mm -hmm. I've, I've noticed that like just deep intentional like diaphragmic breaths have just really like aided in the experience and just made it very positive of course so it works both ways if something external excites you and jumps you into a fight or flight your breathing will change mm -hmm. but then you can work it the other way and use conscious breathing to ramp that state back down mm -hmm. so by knowing how to use your breathing in different states you can control your state more actively, right? Yes. As opposed to most of us are kind of just on a ride all of the time. Like we're reacting to everything that's happening outside. The breath centers you and allows you to control your state despite what's going on outside right. of you. And that's what high intensity training can teach you if you know how to work breathing during that time, both during the exercise and during the recovery periods, mm -hmm. your body doesn't know the difference between a physically induced fight or flight stressor, like swinging a kettlebell a bunch, or like your boss yelling at you, a psychological one. Right. And so if you can, you can learn how to control your state outside by training that way in the gym or in the studio, if yeah. that makes sense. Absolutely. Jiu-Jitsu has been great for learning how to control breath, at least in my experience, mm -hmm. because you get... You know, you get in those real tight, cramped situations that can make you feel very claustrophobic. And then sometimes it really is a person trying to fucking choke you. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's, you have to, like, really, like, calm down, be very present, focus on your breath, slow it down, you know, so you don't panic sure. or freak out. So um, it's, 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 uh, it's a very useful tool in all areas of life. And that's, that's why the breath is important for flow state because flow state – you're, you're kind of pushing just over that line of like into fight or flight, but it's controlled. Yes. You're not, you know, totally spinning off, you know, uh -huh. into oblivion, into fight or flight. It's a, it's a controlled, just over the edge fight or flight where you're at this heightened state, but not going too far. And right. if you're below that, it won't happen either. It'll be too, you know, not stimulating enough almost. Are you familiar with the, like the elevation masks? Uh, I'm familiar with them. I've never used them. And I, I mean, I'm sure they work. I think there's other ways to probably train. Yeah. I've, so I've used, without them. I've used the first one and the second version of it. And, um, as far as whatever the claims are, as far as like, um, it mimicking like elevation training that I, I don't really know if those are, if they're the benefits are there or not. But what I think the biggest benefit that I've ever had with that is, um, it strengthened my diaphragm. Like I've always been one who's, mm -hmm. I'm not, I've always been very focused on my, on my breath. So it just, even with sports, you know, you kind of have to be, 
So like I, whenever I, I don't train with it anymore, but whenever I did train with it in the past, I did notice that it, it, it made my diaphragm a whole lot stronger. Oh. And that, that's what I always say, like, the biggest benefit is. I'm like, your diaphragm, like, that tissue is muscular. Like, you can strengthen that. So I, I, I always just, I didn't know if, what, if you had any experience with that or not. No, and I'm one of those people, I'm sure they work for all that stuff. I'm, I'm a minimalist in the sense oh, yeah. that, like, I, if I can do the, do the same thing without anything, that's how I'm probably going to train. Yeah. That's just how I am and, like, to That's each a good their method. own. But, I don't uh, even use it anymore. Like the Wim Hof um, breathing, um, breath of fire, burst breathing, all of this type of stuff will strengthen the diaphragm. Breathing from your diaphragm most of the time, which is how we should breathe, will strengthen your diaphragm. But there's certainly ways to strengthen it without any other external mm-hmm. equipment needed. So Absolutely. Um, but I'm sure it does do those things yeah that was my experience with it but um yeah i'm i'm definitely in your camp i would much rather not use something like that um i think the only other benefit at least for just depending on the person is the restrictive nature of it it does really force you from that there's like a mental training to it Mm -hmm. um but the other thing the thing i use a lot with that and i think there's a lot of benefit to it but it also has that same effect is is doing most of your training, except for very high intensity stuff, breathing through the nose. So most people strictly through the strictly nose. Through the nose. Mm. Um, that also regulates how much you can take in and push out. And for most people at first, that's going to be an extremely stressful experience, even doing warm up type stuff and trying to breathe through the nose. Yeah. Um, but it has a lot of, um, they're showing through studies and things like that, benefits. But it's, I, I like to, I find, the studies and all that stuff are nice, but if you train and practice these things, you kind of learn all of this intuitively, right? Right. You start to learn it, and you just kind of know it. You feel it, right? Yeah, and absolutely. I'm much more about, like, I got bogged down in a lot of science, mm-hmm. and then I started to realize training is much more art than it is science. It's Yeah, I have a hard time training people or because, uh, you know, some people, they'll come to you and be like, tell me what to do. Tell me how much to eat, what to eat. Um, tell me exactly what to do, and it's just like, man, like – I can I can kind of guide you, but like you got to learn your body. Like you got to mm-hmm. you got to listen. You know mm-hmm. you got to be more intuitive with this. Mm-hmm. So and that is a process to learn that. It's a process to learn it, and a coach isn't someone who can tell you exactly what to do. Right. You have to walk the path, but a coach walks with you, mm-hmm. and they learn. And you know I think one of the biggest undervalued things about a coach is they have to be have high emotional social intelligence. Right, you have to be able to read people. Mm-hmm. Everybody's different. Everybody responds to things differently, and you have to be very in tune with the people you're working with. Yes, and that's how you help to guide them. And you don't always guide them by like forcing them in a direction. You let them find it while creating a safe space to do that. Right, where they can kind of like bumpers almost, and they bump in here and they kind of recenter and that. And you're just you're just guiding them, but everybody's on their own, you know specific journey absolutely and I, I like that term coach over a trainer right this a coach is someone who's who's teaching things who's physically educating um i don't like client either as a term client someone who I, I heard somebody say once it's someone who passively receives a service like a barber has a client right? yeah a real estate agent has a has a client or something like that like this is an active process where i'm working with people mm-hmm. to help guide them on their own journey and for different people the training at different times means different things right right and so you can't force anybody any which direction but yeah there's a lot of people who want i think we kind of don't attract folks who are looking for the one shot answer because i think we're kind of off the beaten path and I think yeah. people kind of get the idea that maybe we're not doing that sort of thing mm-hmm. um, but yeah a lot of folks yeah they want the specific answer and with diet and with training it's every person is an individual and so you got to really you just you got to work it and, and you got to be in it. Yeah. You know, too much we're thinking about what we want from this down the road. And that causes us to not actually be here and now when we're training. Absolutely. And so one of the big goals that I have is like, no, no. And you also can't enter flow state if you're in the future. You have to be now deeply right. rooted in the present. Mm-hmm. And we don't talk a lot about goals and things like that. I don't have a lot of personal goals that I set for myself in training. I just train. Mm-hmm. And enjoy the process of being in the experience as as almost like a meditative type of experience, but maybe working very hard at times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a I think that's a really good approach. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, I think you have to have a very um, longevity based mindset, and and the sense that you know, like this is what I'm doing 
like forever. Like this is just how life is now. Like I'm just training. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, I like to have like smaller goals. Like we talked a little bit before. Like right now, like I'm just really working on my ankle. But like I don't like look that as like as like like this is like my goal. Like this is just something that I'm doing to improve myself. Right. You know what I mean? In, I, in the moment. Yeah. There's no problem with goals. Except if they become their own end. The goal is only a means to yes. get us somewhere different. It's, it's, it, the minute the goal becomes an end yes. or the training becomes an end is where it becomes something different. Right. And, and a lot mindset. of people don't realize that distinction. Um, you know, like I always tell people, I'm not in here to teach you how to do as many push-ups as possible. Like if we can get our work done in as few push-ups as needed... That's what we're going to do. Like, that's efficient training. Mm-hmm. We're not in here trying to be the best at exercising. Yes. We're here to use exercising as a means to, to personal development in a myriad of different, different arenas in life, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, and, 100%. And Maxwell is very big into that. That's another thing I appreciate about him. Um, and I think a lot of the good systems and good coaches out there very much realize that. It's mm-hmm. like... You know, and it's fine if you like to exercise as as a sport to see how much you can exercise. Like that's great, but you should realize that that is then no longer about health, wellness, longevity, and sustainability. That's about doing a sport for the sake of loving a sport, which mm-hmm. is a competitive endeavor. Yeah, that's different. That's like a performance thing at that point. It's a performance thing, you know. And yeah. so I think that's that's the big break that a lot of people don't really get and I don't necessarily come out and explicitly tell everybody that mm-hmm. over time you can lead people to that and different people are led to that in different ways absolutely and that's where the emotional social intelligence comes in again of being a coach so we're trying to come at it from a very different standpoint so the other thing is when it becomes an end it tends to be something that injures you you get injured from doing it right and yes. that's fine sports you love them, you do them, and they're an end in themselves, and sometimes they injure you. As Maxwell always says, and I'm 100% a proponent of this, like good training should make you less likely to become injured, yes. not more likely. If you're doing some training and you think it's health, longevity, and that, and you're getting injured every six months, you may want to like re- relook at that picture and, and think about what you're doing. You know. Yeah, dude, that's such an important statement. Such so, an important yeah. statement, you know what I mean? Especially countless people you know they're looking for direction and you know they just they just take to whatever is you know the most uh, popular thing at the time of course and unfortunately a lot of times they just they don't have that groundwork in place and it just leads them to injury of course and that's why I was I tell people too is like everyone always says you need a coach because you need you need motivation and drive and that and I find actually much more so with people, I have to be pulling back on the reins, right? With folks that come in here. So yeah, you need some motivation sometimes for consistency to like keep training. But usually when people are in here, you know, our, uh, our uh, Protestant work ethic is just more, more, heavy, go, go, go. And yeah. more so than not, I'm pulling people back and saying, that's too much, right? Or, yes. you, you know, oh, man. you're going too fast. Yeah, I'm like a zealot, or maybe that's not the right word, but like in the MMA gym at St. Charles MMA. I mean, in the MMA community, you can't do enough. Like, you're, oh, yeah. you know, there's so many different pieces to always train. So it's like, man, they're always training. They're always training. I'm, I'm telling these younger guys, I'm like, hey, man, are you getting enough sleep? You know, maybe you should take that rest day. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they feel like they have to, you know, train for an hour and a half. I'm like, well, if you guys can't get your work done an hour, that practice is probably a little inefficient. Of course. We're a a culture driven by more, right? Everybody's, I mean, it's just how it is. Everyone's got to work so much. Everyone's going to do all of this. And that's the other thing that is, is often missed is like a program, like a goal is good, but it's more of guidelines than like a hard, fast, written in stone, like you cannot break this. Your training has to adapt to your life. Yes. Your life should not adapt to your training unless you're a professional athlete or something like this. It's a little but, bit different. But, but for the average person, which is the people we're working with, mm-hmm. um, everyone does it the opposite way. They have to change their whole life to fit their training schedule, and that leads a lot of times to overtraining. It leads to things that people can't maintain forever. Yeah. And it's, it's got to be the opposite way. If all of a sudden you're training a lot because you don't have a lot of stress and you're just working a basic nine to five, you've got a lot of time or you're teaching in China and have time, you yeah. can train a lot more. Mm-hmm. If you just had a baby and you, you know, you've got, you just moved into a house and you're 
doing this, that, and the other. Yeah. You're, you're, you're really stressed from normal life. Your training needs to, to adapt to fit that situation. You don't keep going forward with it like you're the guy that had no stress, you know, six months ago. Mm -hmm. You have to adapt your training to fit what's going on with you. That's where it will best benefit you. Because at the end of the day, most people, unless you're a professional athlete, you're training in here so you can be better at life. If your training's exhausting you and it's uh, injuring you, it's not helping you outside, which is why you're in here in the first place. Right. And so it's, it's just kind of, and it's again, it's that loss of is this a means or is this an end? And we try to get fundamentally down to like stay rooted with that because yeah. it's extremely important. So Yeah, yeah, it really is. That's, that's extremely important. Um, well, dude, we have talked for an hour. Oh, okay. Yeah, dude, I want to be respectful of your time. Sure. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. Appreciate it. Um, so tell the folks, um, I'm going to leave, I'm going to open the floor up to you. Tell the folks how they can get a hold of you, um, anything you wanted to share, any plugs, socials, whatever you'd like. Yeah, so we're on Instagram at flowstate.stl. We're on Twitter at flowstate.stl. We're on Facebook at flowstate.stl. Um, website flowstatestl.com. My cell phone's the number that's listed on there. My email is drew at flowstatestl.com. Um, we're located down here in St. Louis City in the, the beautiful Fox Park neighborhood. Um, we do small group training, six people or less. I run 10 classes a week, Monday through Saturday, and I also do some uh, personal training. Um, we do a free intro for anyone who wants to check it out. You can go to the website and sign up for those free intros right there under the tab free intro. Um, and yeah, feel free to come by anytime. We'd have to swing a mace or something sometime yeah, soon. Absolutely, dude. And I'll put all this in the show notes so people can find you. So. Appreciate it. All right, brother. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. All right, everybody. Till next time. <laughs>